Hello everyone and welcome back to Files Obscura. We're once again introduced with Aaron and Vladimir. And today uh, we are going to be looking at a particularly heavy subject, uh, not something that most of us learned in school. It's not found in our history books, but uh, it really should be. Um, today we're talking about Black Wall Street. I'm sure, you know, if you're here from last week, you heard that that's going to be today's subject matter. And, uh, you know, before we really get into it, you know, there's just been so much going on lately. I mean, hell, today, oh, right before, dude, before I came over here, I was telling you about the news we found from Kim Jong-un. Yeah, yeah he's a uh, veg vegetable right now? Yeah, supposedly. Supposedly because of some open heart surgery. But it's North Korea, so. So we don't know what's true, what's not yeah. true. Yeah, It's just been so much going on, you know, as far as news. I heard, you know, I think I mentioned it to you last week uh, about a shooting up in Nova Scotia. Yeah, you told me about it. Yeah. Um, there's a YouTube channel that I personally follow for a lot of Star Wars-based content. It's called uh, Eckhart's Ladder. Oh, I love that guy. He's the one who, you know, made a video about it. He even started, a, I believe, a GoFundMe page and was able to raise, I think, over 10000 Don't quote me because I could be very wrong. But I, I personally didn't open the, the video yet. Yeah. But, yeah, but no. uh, he, he raised... A, a lot of money real quick to help, you know, with the events of what happened. I personally did not look into the story. I don't know what happened. I don't know who's involved. Um, but, you know, it's a tragedy, even if it's not an American tragedy, you know. Yeah. It's, I, it, it sucks. It doesn't matter where bad things happen, especially with what we're about to cover today, you know. Honestly, <laughs> any tragedy happening during this time just makes things worse for everyone. It does. And and I think for me personally, that's why it's so important that we have things to focus on. Lucky for us, we have our podcast to focus on with all of our own individual researches for episodes that we're doing. Um, I know we right now I'm primarily doing the research, but now you're, you're starting to do your own. Yeah, I've been working on some research. Uh, should be done pretty soon. Um, uh, very interesting true crime case. Okay. Well, before we, you know, start talking about that and spoil the beans on that one, oh, well. um, we, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to figure out our structure. We're, we're figuring out, you know, schedules and all that. Yeah. Um, we're trying to get ahead on a bunch of research, um, which you'll see, especially with today's topic, uh, Black Wall Street. It's just one of those events that there's a lot of information about a particular subject, but it, it's part of a grander conversation you know with black wall street we're dealing with race race is going to be a big thing um and know that now and forever especially on this podcast if i ever seen some if i ever say something that seems racially motivated or hateful know that i'm primarily speaking from notes i'm speaking from the viewpoints of people that i've, I've been reading information from and you know this was based around the times you know this happened in the uh, 1921 you know, heavily racist time. It's unavoidable. Yeah. You know, I personally don't like the discussion of race. Not that I think it's, uh, you know, not worth mentioning. But in an idealized, progressed, you know, future for ourselves, I would imagine that race wouldn't even be relevant anymore. You know, which is why I don't personally talk about it. But I also recognize it is important to remember and discuss it and, you know, learn from it, most yeah. importantly. Um, so... I I, I was just going to say, I actually think it's, um, and in my, my personal opinion, I think it's very important to still discuss uh, these issues. Oh, very but much Mostly because, so. like, if we don't discuss it, it's like... It's lost to history, which this more or less was. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I just felt that needed to be addressed, uh, more so that I never mean 
anything harmful or wrong towards any individual. Um, I just felt like this was a, was something that needs to be discussed. This needed to shed some light, but I also didn't want you to feel like I am not doing this subject justice uh, because there are certain topics that I omit information, whether it be for a time sense kind of deal, because I don't want this podcast to run for hours and hours on hours on end. But at the same time, I, I, I can't uh, deliver every bit of information on this one topic uh, because of subjects like when it comes to race, you know, there's always threads of stories or relevant information that if you follow that trail long enough, it leads to other information and other stories that are worth their own subject and worth their own time. So it's hard to find that balancing act between focusing on the topic specifically and doing justice to, you know, talking about all the other circumstances that were around. Yeah. So I don't want it to come off like I'm not doing my research or I'm not doing the story justice, but at the same time, I don't want it to be overboard, you know, just a bombardment of information and I'm running through things too quickly to try to keep make up, you know, pace with time. And it's just, you know, so just blanket apologies if there's anything I miss, if there's anything I've gotten wrong, like I always say. Um, because again, the, the point of the show is to start conversation, yeah. not to just be a textbook, of course. you know, so the, I'm going to get things wrong. It happens. You know, I may miss say things or misinterpret certain actions. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm only human. And I would say with any, any case that we, we talk about, especially true, true crime cases, um, it's definitely worth doing your own research. Oh, of course. Um, even of course. after the episode. Uh, look into it yourself. See, like, if you find a subject particularly interesting, uh, there's loads of information yeah. on almost everything online. So, you know, and, and you know, like I said, th this was a particularly difficult subject for me to just read into because I, I mean, I, I may not be a black individual, but that doesn't mean I can't, you know, feel sympathy for everyone who suffered here. I can't. Doesn't mean I can't be mad at the people who perpetrated it, and I, I just think. How, how can you let fear just rule you so much? And then I look at today. I look at everything that's going on now. Trump's policies, his fucking horde of, you know, young adults and even the older generation still pining after him and all that. It just it doesn't make any sense to me. You know, how can you be so oblivious? How can you be yeah. so stupid? And honestly, the... And, and you know, also, real quick, you know, I also know nothing's just clearly black and white. I know that. Yeah. So, but I also I also feel like getting into a good a good um, you bring something up really really, inter really interesting. We shouldn't just uh, trust any individual. No, of course. Yeah, even, of course not. Even people with good intentions, like you can't just blindly believe like everything they do is right. Yes. And um, the fact that so many people just take whatever Trump says and treat it as gospel, um, like no. Yeah. <laughs> It, it, you know, it, it definitely pays to do your own research. It definitely pays to, to pay attention to what's going on. Because like I said, even in my personal life, I know like right now, everyone more or less, you know, depending on the stipulations in your life, is getting a stimulus check in America. Of course, yeah. I'm supposed to be getting mine. You know, but one thing I don't think most people realize is you got to pay taxes on that. Yeah. No, that, that's not just a free $1,200. It is a... Is uh, was it a uh, ten ninety nine, and next year when it comes to taxes, you have to file that twelve hundred dollars stimulus check that was more or less forced for you to give, depending on how you look at it. Because someone like my mother actually doesn't need the check, but because she's forced to get it, she'll have to pay extra taxes on it. 
now you look at someone like me, I could really stand to use the check. Mm-hmm. But, you know, next year, whether I'm better or worse than I am now, I don't know. I still have to pay for that. You know, and that, that's not something that, you know, most people just know. My mom, you know, she worked a lot in accounting. That's how I found that information out because my mom is the type of person to read the fine print and she informed me and that's how I learned. That's how like now I'm trying to plan for it. You know, I'm setting money aside into my savings account so I don't, I can't have access to it because, you know, I have to go through the whole three day process before it comes out and all that. It's just going to sit there until it comes time for taxes. I can pull that money out and then pay my additional dues then, you know, and, and you know, I, there's so much going on lately that, that pays to be informed, but you know. I can't change the world. Yeah. I can only change mine, you know, which is, I, again, can't wait for that check to come in because I'm holding my breath. There's currently a van I'm looking to get. Very good van. That's more or less cheap. The dude kind of just wants it to be gone, but I just haven't been able to go out there yet because I'm getting screwed over and I don't know where my stimulus check is. It was yeah. supposed to come in yesterday That's, and it didn't come in. I mean, I'm sure it'll come in eventually. Well, like- it's because it's trying to send to an account I had last year, which I no longer have, and it and it's not the IRS system hasn't updated with my current tax information, which I already filed, you know, a while ago. So it, it's not updating that information. So it keeps thinking I still live in Illinois, and so it keeps trying to send everything over there. Mm. I don't have that account anymore, so it keeps getting routed back. I just want to take a look at my information, and be like, look, this is where this guy lives. Just send him a check there. But I can't do that. Well, I can. I just haven't gone through the process. It's, it's all a headache. I just want my van. I don't want to be gone. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, but no. this isn't this isn't a general podcast for us to talk about our life. We came here to talk about Black Wall Street. So you know what? I think that's what we're gonna do right now. Yeah, let's let's get to it. All right. So as always, Vlad, two truths and a lie. Okay. So our first statement, you know, Black Wall Street, which we will get into, was. Uh, was considered an anomaly. It was a very rich black, you know, neighborhood, enclave, whatever term you want to use to describe this area where they lived at. Um, but it was considered an anomaly given the fact that it prospered in the Deep South in the 1920s, or even starting a little bit, you know, before that, um, in the height of like Jim Crow laws. And, and, and around this time, you got to understand too, Oklahoma was subject to some of the harshest discrimination and segregation laws around this time in the United States. And these guys prospered, you know? So, you know, it's not like you had a block, black Wall Street every, you know, 300 miles per city or whatever. You know, the, these guys, you know, they were pretty unique and it, it sucks to see them gone, you know? But then we also have our statement number two, you know? This was also known as the Tulsa Race Riot which was described aptly because it described the battle-like conditions between, you know, the unfortunate black and white, you know, rape, you know, race issues that were going on. And, and, you know, many people died. Like, I'm not joking when I say hundreds of people died because of this conflict, you know, fights from one side and the other, you know, just pure atrocities. You know, you can, if you Google, if you search on Google and look at images about the, you look up Tulsa race rights, you can see just the devastation. I mean, ridiculous. But then, of course, you know, our last uh, last little statement today, you know, explains how there's an estimated 300 people that lay buried in unmarked mass graves still today in, you know, the, uh, the, Tos- the, the what, what's it called, the Tulsa uh, area. I'm trying to remember the map in my head that I saw where I, I was getting this information from. Um, some of the bodies that people believe are buried there 
are located near where uh, the Black Wall Street is. Also, it was actually called uh, Gre uh, Greenwood, Greenwood Avenue. So there's a couple places near Greenwood Avenue where people believe that a lot of these berries are, are buried. And then there's another cemetery that's a little farther away that people believe some of these individuals were buried. So we have three statements that Black Wall Street was considered an anomaly. That the Tulsa race right was, you know, a battle between, you know, blacks and whites. A literal race war in Tulsa. And then, you know, that there were over 300 people, estimated give or take, you know, buried in unmarked mass graves and still in Tulsa, Oklahoma today. Oof. Uh, you came up with a really good one. I tried. I, I, no, I struggled each, with each, this. Each one, each one of these sounds... It sounds so plausible. It sounds plausible. But one of these are a lie. Which one's a lie? Uh... I'm gonna go ahead and say oh, this is really tough. Yeah, you really did. Really did make it tough. Yeah, I wanted you to think. I'm gonna go ahead and say it was the second one. You think it's the second one? I the reason I say that is because I don't know. I don't know anything about the story. Really Granted, don't. most people actually don't. Yeah, but uh, I'm gonna go ahead and uh, go ahead and assume that this wasn't much of a war. But maybe closer to a genocide. You think it was closer to a genocide, not like an actual battle in Tulsa? No, I think I think a lot. It, there was it was more of just being completely overpowered. All right, and just because I know, like, oh man, uh, knowing well, how, and, you you also got to understand too. Like I said, you know, it's true. Black Wall Street got its name for a reason. Yeah, you know, these were black individuals in a completely black you know neighborhood environment, whatever term you want to use. They prospered better than a lot of the white people around them. So is it, you know, because with a lot of property, you can also imagine, you know, the same poor average black individual in Georgia could have probably afforded a gun and a small shack. Whereas the same individual who lived in, you know, Greenwood Avenue would probably be able to afford not only his own house, but also, you know, hired help, probably a variety of guns, you know, cars even. Okay. Who knows? You, yeah. I didn't. I didn't delve too much into that specific research, but I, from what I saw, the possibility was there. So, hmm. you sure you're sold on two? I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna stick to two. You're gonna stick to two. Yeah. All right, audience. Uh, well, we're about to dive into this. So, pig, figure out pig. I don't know why I said that. Figure out your answers, and we will dive into some supplementary information real quick. Awesome. You know, as always, it's important to understand our history. I decided to go back to Abraham Lincoln who issued the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863, during the Civil War, which was used to uh, attempt to liberate all freed slaves, but due to its wording and writing, it was very flawed and limited in many ways. Um, one of these restrictions uh, was that it only dealt with slaves that were from the South. So if there was any slave plantations that were still in the North or considered Union territory, they were still subjugated to you know slavery laws up in the North. Um, there was also limiting issues about slaves who were freed about certain times when they were freed and just, you know, how far this could extend, you know, how far does the law carry this? Like I said, really complicated wording, uh, that really limited it. But then of course, you know, as time moves on, you know, we have on December 6th, 1865, the 13th amendment was ratified, which generally just abolished slavery from being a legal practice, except as a form of punishment from a core, uh, from a courthouse for a crime the individual committed. That's why, you know, when you think of, you know, people in the 30s and 40s, you know, and you imagine the ball and chain and everyone's just minding the pickaxe. Yeah. It's a form of slavery, but it was considered illegal. And, and, you know, 
justified for whatever crime that individual committed. That's why now today, too, you know, in a much lesser extent, you'll see, you know, criminals or, um, you know, people who are, what, what, what's the term called? Um, um, what's the term? I, it's on the tip of my tongue. Oh, uh, God, it's killing me. Incarcerated. No, no, it, it's lesser than that. Community service. Okay. Community okay. service. You know, that's why you see a lot of people, a lot of kids, you know, they'll get a choice. You go to jail or you pick up litter for 60 days, you know. Hmm. It, you can argue that's an extent of this law, which I think it is, but there's a lot more legalese yeah. that I don't know that would describe if it is or not. I'm sure, like, at the time, any person who's like, ooh, I can legally own a slave. Like, yeah, it, it's a whole lot of, yeah. you know, complications that is not worth getting into. Yeah. Um, but that that was the 13th Amendment. On July 9th, my brother's birthday, actually, uh, 1868, the 14th Amendment was ratified. This amendment essentially made any person born in America a citizen of their state and country, which means if you were born in America, you were a citizen of the state you were born in and the United States of America. This is a big thing that I want to discuss when we, you know, discuss Dreamer Babies and the DACA and all that and, you know... Because, you yeah. know, my mom's a foreigner. It feels you know? like it's something that recently a lot of... It, it, it's yeah. recently become a big issue, and especially with, you know, Trump's administration. Yeah. Um, I, and again, well, when we talk about immigration and, you know, foreign policy and all that, probably a very boring episode. I'll try to try to jazz it up a bit, but it is a subject I do feel is important to talk about. That will be brought back up and, you know, the consequences and the, you know, amendments and, and sections that were added to that years on. Because the, the, the 14th Amendment, whenever I was looking it up, actually went on to, you know, uh, it was Library of Congress or something website. Whatever website, like, held that information. I can't remember off the top of my head which one it was. Like, it, I was reading all the information per, you know, amendment because I was trying to scroll down and find the right ones. This one out of the three, because there's also the 15th, which we'll get into, um, this one had the longest amount of sections and the longest sections, you know, that were out of the three, the most words written per section, I mean. So there, there's definitely a lot that goes into that. And, yeah. you know, as time came on, added to it. Um, but then, you know, February 3rd, 1870... Um, that's when the 15th Amendment was ratified, and this gave the right to vote for every legal citizen. Hmm. So, you know, that's where we get, you know, I learned the little, um, I forget what it's called, like mnemonics or whatever, you know, free men vote. That's how I remember 13, 14, and 15th Amendment. That's what they did. 13th freed, the 14th made them men, and the third and the 15th gave them the right to vote. That's how I always remember those three. Uh, but <laughs> I hate to admit for the longest time. I always said I always said it was the eleventh, twelfth, and thirteenth amendments. Okay, so, I fucked that up. So, so, off by, so when I what, yeah. I was confused for a while. So I learned a lot more about other amendments and rights that we have while trying to research this. So yeah, even I even uh, made myself laugh and uh, was reading the prohibition amendment just to have fun. This just this was, it was there. You know why not? So but. You know, these were the amendments that allowed, you know, black black individuals to not only be legal residents and citizens of the United States, but it gave them a voice, a voice you know, more or less. Of course, this is also before women's suffrage, another topic worth its own, you know, deep dive. Um, so black women, you know, obviously didn't get uh, a say, as, uh, uh, but black men did. But of course, we're still, you know, we're, we're still in very heavily, you know, anti-black, you know. Yeah mentality so you know you you can imagine 
nationwide, they're still subjugated to literacy tests and, and stuff like that. That really segregated them even more. There was even the three-fifths compromise, which is something I didn't look into, which I really should have, because I don't feel confident talking about it right now and getting information wrong. But I know that was also another big contributor that affected, you know, black votes. But more or less, just quick summary, it just meant that every black vote was only worth three-fifths of what a white man's vote was. So it would take wow. even more of a black individual's vote to to make any significant change. That's awful. It is awful. I mean, it's terrible. And basically, you know, to the law, it's like, oh, you're only, like... Yeah, it's like, a it's a fuck of, you. It's like, you're it's only like, a quarter of a man. You know yeah, I mean? it's like... You're one of us, but not one of us. Yeah. It's a fucked up mentality. It really is. Um, I will say, though, like, it is amazing seeing how long it took. For, because even after this, there's even more, like, progress we had to make. Oh, dude, um, we're about to talk about the KKK. Yeah, like, so. like this should... Man, it went on for such a long time. Uh, for a very long time. Dude, I remember when... I don't know if you ever saw the movie uh, uh, Hidden Figures. Mm-hmm. I think I have, but I've seen so many things in my memory so jacked, it's hard to tell. Oh, it's really good. It's about uh, the ladies who worked at NASA, the mathematicians who worked at NASA. They were all black. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Dude, that is one of my favorite movies. It's really good. But it is so good. What, what surprised me most is when I was first watching this, I was watching this with like <coughs> two other people. And throughout the movie, I'm like, wait, wait, are you telling me like, like, even after all this stuff, like they were still treated like this, and it's yes, like- it is ridiculous. Oh my god, it is ridiculous. And, and I'll, I'll probably have a little um, analogy that I wanted to say towards the end of this. Whenever I bring up my opinions on race and all that, uh, why it just doesn't fundamentally make sense to me, especially given that Black Wall Street existed. If, if Black Wall Street and other you know prosperous black neighborhoods never actually existed. It'd be hard for me to argue what I want to argue later, but let's keep going because there's a lot more supplementary information that I tried to fit, that I tried to fit in that I felt was relevant. Right. Um, you know, especially with the KKK, they weren't directly they were not directly involved to my knowledge. Let me just say that to my knowledge, uh, they were not directly involved in you know the Tulsa race riot, the Black Wall Street massacre, whatever name you you know it as. However. They were a big catalyst for the environment that that bred it, at least. So that's why we're talking about it now. But they are definitely worth their own deep dive as well, because they've got their own conspiracies and and things that are worth diving into. I really don't want to talk about it right now because I was about to. But on Christmas Eve in 1865, this is whenever the KKK was founded in Pulaski, Tennessee and was quickly changed from a secret societal organization into a paramilitary force, trying to reverse progressive reconstruction ideas and activities. They were, more or less, they were trying to stop the government from being, you know, pro-black people, give them rights and stuff. Mm. They were trying to stop the efforts, even went so far as, you know, going to Congress and, and trying to pass bills. Yeah, that happened, you know, trying to legalize racism, um, which for a long time it more or less was. Um but, uh, you know, around this time, whenever they first formed, you know, they their leader, a former Confederate general named Nathan Bedford Forrest with two R's. Hey, 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 Forrest Gump. That's, you know, where we where he got his name from All right. was from this individual. But he would be the first KKK Grand Wizard. If you don't know what the Grand Wizard is in the KKK, it is basically the head honcho of head honchos in this criminal organization. And they are criminal. I will not dispute that. They are Absolutely. terrorists. And even the FBI lists them as terrorists. Absolutely. Yes. Um, 
But something interesting I did not know, uh, which is the whole reason I started writing about this, was because Bedford uh, Forrest in eighteen sixty nine he actually unsuccessfully tried to disband the KKK entirely. The reason being he he just grew away from their excessive violent tactics and ideas. He he grew disillusioned uh, with them while this was all going on. But at some point, and I did not look into it, which is why I say this is worth its own subject in the future. Uh, he just wound up not agreeing with their, with their tactics anymore. I won't, I won't go on a limb and suggest that he was no longer racist more, more often than not. He probably remained just as racist, if not more. He just didn't like how the KKK was handling their business. That's why he tried to disband it. Um, because, like I said, they were becoming excessively violent. And, and when we get to... When I'm about to talk about the Red Summer here. You'll, you'll see just what I mean. Oh. Um, I can imagine. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. The KKK, you know, they went through two revivals during the 20th century. And they're going through a revival now. Um, in, in the 21st. But their second revival happened during this time. During the 1910s and 20s. Because of the rising immigration that, that was going on when a lot of my personal family, my, the Italians and Irish in my family, you know, were coming over, you know, because my, both my parents actually did their uh, genealogy test. That's how I know so much about what happened with my family. And this was around the time that they came in. Um, my dad's predominantly Irish. My mom has a lot of Eastern European and uh, Italian in her. So just mm-hmm. in case you were curious. All right. There's a lot more into it, but they're not really that important. Um, but then the red summer of 1919 happened. This was an event that lasted from late winter so we're talking about january february around that time and lasted all the way to early autumn wow yeah where it was pretty much nothing but just many anti-black race attacks that happened in over three dozen cities across the united states so you you gotta imagine we're dealing with almost 40 different outbreaks of just racial attacks across the united states in in one year so imagine hearing that now on like cnn or something like, unfortunately, like we're dealing with tragedies in, in the last decade of school shootings, you know, imagine every two or three months you hear about, you know, four more, you know, big cities suffering. And, and to an extent we do with, yeah. with cop shootings and all that where it's unprovoked and, again, subject for another time, you know. The craziest thing about this, though, is this is a time when, like, if like a good amount of people in the United States, if they heard this, they would just shrug it off. It's whatever, because unfortunately, around this time, most of them were still predominantly white and predominantly didn't give a fuck. They didn't care because they saw blacks as lesser people. And it's a mentality that just kept brewing hate. You know, you can only push a group of people so much. You know, it's just terrible. I mean, hell, one, one of the things I read... Uh, during, you know, the Red Summer, Elaine, Arkansas, they reported the highest number of fatalities during this whole event. They had between 100 and 240 black individuals and five white people died during this event. I felt that was important to put in there. Out of all that, how disproportionate is that? Up to, and it's only estimated, up to 240 black people and only five white people died in this, you know, racial outbreak of hate. That's like, that's awful. I mean, yeah, it, it's truly awful. It's terrible. And you know, but I'm guessing that there wasn't a lot of like military like like involvement in this, right? No, not not even. Um, in some instances, you know, the black community did fight back, like in Chicago and Washington D.C., um, who suffered 38 and 15 deaths respectively. You know, but there was a lot of injuries, and Chicago especially suffered 
a lot of property damage, you know, during this. But, you know, I was glad to hear that at least some of these communities did try to actively fight back, you know. There was a story that I came across, but is very well self-contained in its own thing. Um, and it actually happened long before this, but it was a kind of like a black revolution that happened. It was led by a white abolitionist and a couple of other former freed slaves um, who were more or less just trying to get the black blacks to rise against the, the, the status quo, if you will. Uh, they robbed train cars, to my knowledge, uh, and attacked several businesses from, you know, rival entities that were trying to stop them and stuff. Eventually, uh, to my knowledge, if I'm remembering, they were all hanged. So, oh. didn't happen. Obviously, we don't have black America. But uh, it was, you know, first notable attempt that I felt was at least worth recalling. But like I said, it was a subject that is very well self-contained to be its own thing. So when I get back to that, I'll do the research and properly address everyone and the events that happened. But, yeah, it, it was horrible, you know. And, and you got to understand, uh, the Red Summer it was an event that happened in one year. However, it, it shouldn't be taken as, you know, every year, you know, 1918 and 1920, you know, were peaceful. There was nothing to happen. There were still a bunch of, of racial outbreaks of fighting. I, I should say, I, I really need to find a better way to word that. I don't know why I keep wording it that way. But the, these the, these outbreaks of fights and just violence and, and just, you know, genocide more or less, you know, depending on the event, uh, they kept happening and, and would continue to happen all the way up through the 70s. It was just a particular time period. Yeah, it, where it was, it was just concentrated. Ex aggressively violent. Yeah. Don't know why. I, I couldn't find any information that that talked about that you know also going around this time you know a lot of people were afraid of black communities because you gotta understand 1919 this was you know the end of world war one as well you know you had a bunch of black individuals who went out you know uh and tried to fight for the you know the, the u.s one particular group and these are heroes and heroes to the day that we all die the Harlem Hellfighters mm -hmm. was an all-black military group, and, and they were sent over during World War One to try to fight for the Americans, you know, during this time. But no American soldier wanted to fight with them. But the French, they took them in with open arms. They gave them better equipment. They gave them better, you know, rifles and taught them better tactics. They really took care of them because they were more than happy to have them there. And, you know, I mean, praise the French for that, really. Yeah. You the know? fact that they accepted help no matter what, like yes, yeah. I mean, and, and, well, it's not only that. The Harlem Hellfighters were one of the most prolific fighter fighting force or units in you know the U.S. Army at that time. I think, and, and I could be completely wrong because uh, I'm pulling that, I'm pulling this out of my ass, but uh, I think they suffered the fewest casualties, you know, out of any unit. Uh, during World War One, wow! Either, it's either that, or they had like the highest kill count, or, or service hours, or something like that. It was some extreme measure that really, you know, stated how not only how effective these guys were, but how necessary they are just, you know, to have as, as individuals, you know, and how far they were willing to go to fight for a country that didn't give a rat's ass about them, you know. It, it's That's, terrible, uh, it really you know. Is. But, you know, with, with, you know, that never went away. The hatred never went away. And after the war, you know, many people were also beginning to fear that uh, because, like in Russia during this time, the Bolshevik Revolution uh, really started, you know, spreading and growing influence in, you know, Russia and Eastern Europe. 
uh, they were afraid that these communist ideas would start to rise in black communities, and to an extent it did, uh, but it actually helped them. And, and like I said, I'll get to that when we talk about its, you know, its growth and all that. But they were afraid that they would that the black communities would push for a more communist idea and really challenge the American mentality. I say with big air quotes. Uh, and they just used that as an excuse to, to treat it as a personal attack against them. Now, was this before, like, the whole, like... And obviously, obviously, I'm guessing it's it's before uh, the Cold War and the, yeah. the big old fear of communism that, like... Yeah, this, this, was, this was before the Red Scare. This was before McCarthyism. It, was, it wasn't like you would imagine in the 70s. It wasn't that level of fear. However, it did pop up enough in what I was reading in certain articles that I felt worth mentioning here. Hmm. You know, it's not like how we'd imagine Nazis today. Fuck Nazis. We don't, we don't have that mentality. That wasn't their mentality towards the communism and that idea. But they were well aware of it enough to know that, you know, it could be a problem. They just associated it with black individuals, whether as another reason to hate them or from something they were observing and then use that as a reason to hate them. Yeah. So... Like I said, it, it, this was one of those times where it just wasn't worth getting too deep into yeah. that information. Honestly, it just kind of sounds like a, it's a convoluted reason. It is. It, it's all convoluted. It's all stupid. It's all retarded. But it happened, and we can't ignore it. And again, also, different times, you know? I, I can't speak for that time, you know? I can't speak for prohibition. I can't speak for, you know, women's suffrage. I can't speak for civil rights. I can't. Unfortunately, I am a cis white male that lives in the 21st century. But I don't think, you know, that my opinion should be any less, which is also uh, something that I've experienced to a degree with certain friends of mine. Um, but again, this isn't really a debate or discussion about social politics today. So I'm going to leave that on the table. We'll talk about it when we get to social politics in the future, if we do. I may not. <laughs> just, just like I said, it's all convoluted. And in my opinion, uh, I, it, 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 it's... Over, it's overcomplicated for for the this generation and the next, as I like to put it. And if people want to know my opinions or, or why I say that, I'll I'll talk about it another time. But you know, I I feel like that's a very valid you know view for me to have. Um, but also important to know is that during this time, um, civil rights activist James Weldon Johnson is the one who coined the term Red Summer. While he worked for the Double AACP, the National Association for Advancement of Colored People, um, and would actually actively try, uh, he would start, he wouldn't try, he would actually start a peaceful protest to combat a lot of the violence that was going on. So that's right. what helped, you know, subside it was uh, was uh, James's attempt to kind of cull the, the violence. And we're, we're still like, this is still during the period of all these... Uh, yeah, yeah, this was right before 1920, right before the start of the Roaring Twenties. Gotcha. So, you know. So now that we got all that supplementary information out of the way, you know a lot of the events and the mindsets that, that really brewed, you know, this mentality. Yeah. Um, so to talk about Oklahoma real quick, uh, during like 1889, 1891... Around that time is whenever they're really trying to push Native Americans off of certain tribe lands or, mm. or relocate them. Um, in Tulsa, Oklahoma specifically, it used to be a Native American reservation where this you know plot of plot of land, the the Greenwood Avenue, would eventually be. Um, 
Eventually, uh, we would have a man named O.W. Gurley. He was a very wealthy black landowner who had resigned from a presidential appointment under Grover Cleveland to strike out on his own. He wanted to be his own man. He wanted to be his own businessman. And you know what? I can respect that. Absolutely. You know, he is one of the two uh, big prominent figures that led to it led to uh, Black Wall Street's uh, rise in development. He was, uh, I believe what I read is kind of confusing. Certain articles had dates that were back and forth, so it's hard to say for sure. But I'm pretty sure that he was the first individual to go there. He's the reason it started. In 1906, Gurley would move to Tulsa, Oklahoma and buy 40 acres to, uh, to which he said should be only sold to colored folk, you know. Um, and his, his first business was a rooming house, which was located on a dusty trail near the Frisco track, the, the Frisco Railroad tracks, which would later board, you know, be one of the defining borders of Greenwood Avenue. Um, and the name, also real quick, uh, the name Greenwood Avenue is based off of a city in Mississippi, which I believe had personal ties to Gurley's life. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't dive down that rabbit hole because Mississippi has its own history of race and, and issues there. So I didn't want to just dive into something else. So I don't yeah. know for sure. Um, but you it know, sounds, it sounds like this guy's making a lot of good decisions. The, the fact that he's only selling these black people is actually, yeah, brilliant. well again, it's, but it also leads into what we were talking about, you know, communist ideas, you know, he's, yeah. you know, trying to share the wealth and make it equal. Oh, I, I, by the way, I don't, I don't blame him whatsoever. No, and Dude. this is one of those few times where I, or I am all for it. Dude, I am 100% like, for it. Like, at this time, like, Americans were just, white Americans were just known for, like, stealing from literally everyone. I mean, dude, the whole, America was... Are you kidding me? This, is, this like, is the time period where we glorify bank robbers. Are you kidding me? John Dillinger, Babyface Nelson, uh, shit, I had one more on the tip of my tongue and I just forgot it. Uh, I can't remember. But I just love the fact that this guy's... He, he's like, you know what? If you're going to play like that, I'm going to play like he, that. He, he, like, all, like, literally, he just wants to create a community where he can be fine. And I like, can think of nothing better. Dude. I can think of nothing more morally, you know, holy. He's doing a great thing. Exactly. And, and, you know, I personally believe that choices are defined by the circumstances you make them in. That is my personal belief. So if you purely, you know, you didn't know the context of the time period, you didn't know the individuals involved, you know, you just had X bought this and only sold to X individuals, you don't know that information, it seems very, you know, communistic or, or cultish or whatever, and it's very easy from that kind of view to point that out and be like, that's wrong, it's going to lead to this, that, and the other, but when you really add the context of the information, I can think of no better solution for him to have done. That's exactly what I would have told him to do. Yep. You know, it's, keep this amongst your community. Don't let it get out because they will fucking ruin it. I do love the irony of the fact that like this land was like stolen from Native Americans. It's, yeah. And this guy's like, all right, well, let's let's keep playing with that rule. And like now it's now it's. Uh, I mean, I'm, he, he didn't steal from Native Americans. No, no, he bought the land from the U.S. government, yeah. who stole it from the Native Americans. Yeah. And, you know, now he kept it for, for, for black people. Like, Yeah, well, you know, essentially, uh, I didn't get any quotes or anything about why he did it specifically, but I think it's pretty easy to assume he wanted, you know, a safe community to live in. Of course. He wanted something where people can feel proud to live especially, and just home. Especially at this time. Like, yeah, so, you know, you know it, it was one thing I wrote was that he would often give out loans, like personal loans, you know, for people wanting to start a business. And um, I don't remember exactly where, but on one website, I even saw that sometimes he would tell people to not pay him back, just paid in the community. 
You know, there was uh, sayings that uh, uh, a dollar that came into, you know, Black Wall Street would exchange hands 19 times before it left again, you know. So this whole place was like, it was nothing before he came. It was nothing but dirt and dust. All right. So then he started, you know, making a business here. He, like I said, he made a rooming house, boarding house where people would come in and live for a time. Um, uh, people would come from all, you know, all around, but mostly a lot in Mississippi, actually, to find life here, you know, in the segregated world that they live in. They were able to find this little black enclave, you know, and began to grow and prosper. Uh, like I said, you know, Gurley would offer money to other black individuals to start businesses and to help with homes and all that and really just encourage this communal growth. And, and again, I, I can do nothing but commend the man. You know, I am I'm all for this. You know, like I said, even if it is for a, you know, a racial divide for your community, like I said, my personal beliefs are dependent upon the time I live in. But this man, I, I like I said, I, I would have told him to do the exact same thing. I, I cannot think of anything better to have done. Yeah. You know, but eventually as the place would grow, Greenwood Avenue would have to be defined and it's the, you know, by four roads, you know, Pine Street to the north, Lansing Street to the east, Archer Street and the, um... Frisco Railroad would border the south, and Cincinnati Street would border the west. This would define, you know, a roughly, approximately 40 block, square block, uh, uh, little environment for all these uh, black individuals to live. Now, we're going to talk about another uh, important individual that I, I keep seeing. Uh, his name was J.B. Stratford. And first off, can I say, what a fucking name. J.B. Stratford. That is a man you don't fuck with. Yeah. I don't care. I don't. I don't need to see this dude's face. I don't need to know his history. I hear that. I'm thinking, this dude's got some money. This dude's got some power. Stratford. I yeah, mean, just that's, Stratford. That's a strong name. That's, yeah, that's that's the name for like I don't know. Like I'm thinking about like people who who have money. Yeah. Like it's badass. It's pretty. Well, badass. it is. What what makes me like these type of names first is that the first name is initialized. The middle name is initialized. The only one that matters. Is this fucking Stratford? Yeah, that is all you need to know, and you know who this guy is. That's why I love names like this. Yeah, I don't know, a little weird, but when I research stuff like this and I come across that, that's the first thing that comes to my head. Is like I can respect that, you know? It's a cool name. Yeah, it is a cool name. <laughs> so, but Stratford was another wealthy black entrepreneur who moved to Tulsa in 1899, um, and he's the guy who really uh, pushed for the idea that the community and black people in general. Uh, would be able to prosper if they pulled the resources, you know, and really focused on just themselves, you know, for the time being. And whenever he came in and, you know, had other businesses supporting each other and often give out loans and, and pay for other property and help other individuals, uh, this would be what really spurs development. Of course, there's other individuals who came in, other, you know, prominent black individuals in this community who were really, uh, you know, uh, well-respected or well-liked for one reason or another. But these were the two that I found to be the biggest, you know, contributors to the growth of Black Wall Street. Obviously, the guy who bought the property first and the guy who helps, you know, encourage, you know, their economic growth. Um, Stratford would, you know, he would buy a lot of real estate and exclusively only sell it to black individuals. And he would su he would subdivide plots of properties to other individuals to make houses and stuff like that. That's how, you know, people were able to afford, you know, their own houses. And, you know... He he would he, he would wind up being so wealthy that he would own what's known as the Stratford Stratford Hotel in Greenwood, which was you know offered the same amenities which you could find downtown in Tulsa, but those amenities were only served to white individuals. 
you can find the same thing here in Greenwood for every black individual who comes in and stays. And it was, for, for a while, it was also known as the largest hotel owned by a black man in the United States at this time. Huh. Yeah. So, great, you know, good on him, really. Good on Stratford. That, that is, because I, I couldn't even imagine owning a hotel now, you know? Uh, yeah. So, for him to own the largest black hotel in America at this time, it's like, I, I can't be anything but impressed. You know, even color aside, time aside, history aside... Just the things that, that these two men did, you know, is, is inspiring. Yeah. It really is, you know. Unfortunately, we come to May 30th, 1921, where this beautiful dream, you know, where black doctors, hotel owners, you know, grocery store owners, mechanics, this dream of a black society that prospered, it, it wasn't a dream anymore, it was reality, would, would be shattered. This is the part that, that I got to that really made it hard to, to read from this point on, but it's important history. So on May 30th, 1921, a young 19-year-old black shoeshiner named Dick Rowland would go to a building in downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma, called the Drexel Building. This is one of the few locations um, that offered a public space for, you know, black individuals to come in and use the bathroom, drink some water, whatever, which he was known to do on an almost daily basis. So, you know, one would assume no problem there. Well, it, uh, there was an elevator attendant, you know, at the time when, you know, we have people who physically operate the elevator, letting people in, letting people out on the right floor. 17-year-old... You know, Sarah Page, obviously white, she would be there at work that day. We have Dick known to going in to the hotel, and all we know is that a scream was heard by Page. It's not, it's not sure what she said. Some sources say that she screamed rape or assault, but truly we don't know what happened. And all that would be known is that uh, Dick would be seen running from the elevator, and the following day he would be arrested. By then, newspapers would already be spreading stories about, you know, the assault, a Negro man assaulting, you know, one of their white, young, perfect girls in the elevator, you know, just blatant assault or rape, you know. Yeah. In the court of public opinion, he, he's already been, you know, sentenced and judged. It, it's a terrible thing. And he has barely already been arrested and hasn't even been to trial. He doesn't have a chance to protect himself or anything. No, he does not. But this is, again, another reason why I commend the black community, especially here. Because, um, like I said, the following day, he was arrested for allegations. But Sarah, interestingly enough, never pressed charges. She never pressed charges against him. But like I said, it didn't matter because the papers are already convicting him. And once you have, in this environment, uh, a reason to hate a black young man, it kind of is, is like setting, you know, a match, you know, free in a, in a, in a brush fire you know, or, or whatever. And it just shoots up in flames and just goes everywhere. Yeah. Can't stop it at it's that point. It's too late. It's too late, you know. Uh, and a lot of the white individuals around this time, you know, thousands, you know, upon thousands would, uh, they would go to the courthouse and they would, you know, are screaming, you know, to, to lynch him already. You know, yeah, they, they wanted him gone and dead. You know, they didn't care. All they knew was somebody may have been attacked and that was enough. That was enough. You know, but again, this is where I commend J.B. Stratford because he, amongst other, you know, well-respected black individuals in their Greenwood community, would actually arm themselves and go to the jail 
They did this twice, actually. I only wrote down that they did it once, but they did it twice, actually. Um, they would go there and offer protection for Dick because they knew that if the the white mob got through, the police more or less wouldn't even be able to stop them, let alone probably try to. That they probably... And they and he would have been dead before he even got to the courthouse. So they offered to defend him, you know. They knew they they knew that this you know could turn problematic. They knew they were risking their lives, but you know they were looking out for their own. Again, something I can really you know commend and appreciate. Um, the first time the police dismissed them and said that you know it's okay, we have it under control, everything's fine. But then you know more uh, the, the mob grew again, and you know again they get scared for Dick's life. So again. These individuals go back trying to defend, you know, Dick in his own jail cell. And that is when a, uh, I can't, there was no names. Again, it's kind of hard to, to find the right information on this. But there was a white man who would try to disarm one of the black men, screaming, yelling, what are you going to do with that gun? To which the young black man dis- uh, replied, I will use it if I have to. They argued, they struggled, and eventually the gun would fire, hitting the black man, or the white man. The white man, not the black man. And he would be, uh, I think he would die from this. But then, from there, it, that was it. The riot started. I say riot, and riot is the wrong term to use, because it was not, I'm going to say, this is where you got it right. It was not a battle. It was a full-on massacre, a genocide. Because from this event, the black community would try to hide in Greenwood, and they would barricade the, the railroad tracks, the Frisco tracks, and try to, you know, keep themselves safe, it didn't last long. You know, the whole event lasted, you know, approximately two days. Um, sorry, just... I don't know, it's, yeah. uh, it's just... I, it's heavy, it's really heavy, because especially with all the pictures I, I was looking at, and the... the this is, I mean, it's yeah. really messed up. That it they, is. Because there's no, no, oh, like... There, no, trust me, and I'll get to it, because like I said, the actual event is... Quick to get through, but you'll hear something really soon um, that I'm going to bring up, and it's probably going to really piss you off. Um, like I said, the the whole event would last around two days. Um, buildings would be burned. Uh, there was properties that were being shot up. Many men in the streets were just being hunted down. You know, houses, businesses being blown up or, or burned. You know, by the by the white mob that came in. Um, it is estimated that over two, uh, 1,200 homes and 35 blocks were gone after this tragedy. Wow. So think about that. You know, try to, try to map that in, in, you know, where we live. And the place was That's pretty that much all. No, it wasn't. It, it's, not, it's not Houston. Yes. It, it's not New York. You know, 35 blocks is almost their entire community. You know, 1,200 homes. Homes. That's 1,200 families, you know, either dead or without, you know, the necessary things to live. Um, you know, after this, you know, people were forced to live in tents for months, you know, and this is where the cover-up started because this is whenever people were reporting that this was a, um, this was a riot. And there's a very important distinction because especially around this time, the laws, you know, there, there's no statute of limitations over murder, but there is a statute of limitations over a riot. And, and, you know, the, the communities at large, you know, addressing this as a riot basically gave a middle finger to the face and, and completely ripped out any opportunity for justice from the black community during this time. And 
this is the sad fact that really this is the fact that hit me was that around this time the the cultural attitude towards you know photographs of historical events of that were different around this time photographs that were taken of the event were being used as postcards and were labeled the Tulsa race riots you know and they would many pictures would depict burning buildings dead men in the street bodies you know riddled with bullets hanging off of trucks and sent out as a postcard you send a postcard of the Grand Canyon yeah. you send a postcard of the Seattle Needle you don't send a postcard of the man you just butchered yeah it's like I mean, that's really messed up but that's the it just shows how much these people didn't think of the black community as no. all people it's they're completely dehumanized like there's no like um I mean how how can a person be so cold as to just many well a lot of the a lot of this too is uh, many reports and, and surviving accounts and uh would, would tell of a lot of young men would just be handed a gun like kids teenagers would just be handed a gun and then they'd be you know led to follow and follow they did you know there there's uh there's a perfect psychological psychology test that was done in this uh, i think 70s or 80s uh it's called like the milgram experiment that shows our blind compliance to follow orders even if we don't consciously agree with them you know and i believe that that is definitely something big that fed into what happened you know that is a big reason why this happened because like i said there's just fear and lack of, of a proper response you know or understanding to an event and just you know of course you know the the the, the blatant splattering and smearing of you know racial ideologies all across south you know southern america let alone all of America at this time. Well, it just, it's ridiculous. What's also really crazy is that all of this happened from like, some, like the case was so small. It's like, oh, look, somebody commits a crime in Houston, Texas. All of a sudden, half of Houston is burning because one person. Yeah, yeah. it's not something you think it's of. Like, it's, yeah. Because Houston has a population of, of what? Like, uh, God, I'm trying to remember. It's in the millions. I know that. But this comes down back to the, the, the whole like idea that the United States had where black people weren't seen as individuals, they were seen as groups. Yeah. And if an individual does something, the group did something. Yeah, it's a marginalized group. If one person was capable of it, so was everyone else. Yeah. It's, a, it's a fucked up mentality. That Which, by the way, we still see to this day. We see it's, it with everyone. It, yeah. It's unavoidable. It's been so thoroughly bred into us. It takes an active, you know, choice to not, you know, work on it. I, I will admit to myself, I have moments, you know, like I'm sure everyone does. But it takes that conscious effort of reminding myself, like, it's just a person. It doesn't matter. I mean, it's I, whatever. I mean, I think the, the crazy thing is, and, and you know what? We can probably talk about this later, yeah. but you still see it on the news. No, of course. Know, uh, a person says something and, they, you know, oh my God. Like, I just got to say, like, you, you heard it back in 2016. You know, they're all rapists. Yeah. They're all criminals. Yes. Like, the, last, the, the, the vast majority, you know, but... But, you know, we, I think we're doing better as a whole. As a whole, I can agree with you to an extent. I think a lot of the, the, uh, the oppression, if let's use that word, um, I think that's just changed. I don't think it's better or worse. I just think it's changed. And that's what, make, and that's what skews a lot of people's vision. 
you know, yes, we're not fucking going out and lynching people or hanging them off random trees because we felt like they wronged us. But at the same time, we're not giving them, you know, the same opportunities, you know, economically. You know, black people still have to pay 20% more when it comes to buying their first home. They still have to pay, you know, 15% more during taxes. You know, they still have, there's so much statistics that you can read up and just see that it's still marginalized no matter how you look at it. I'm not the guy that has the answer to the yeah. problem. I'm not. I'm just a guy talking about it because it's important to talk about. Yeah. But real quick, there, there's just a couple more things to bring up about this before we can really just, you know, dive into this discussion. Um, you know, in 1997, there would be a commission formed in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that was uh, gathered to document all the uh, events that happened and track down uh, any survivors and get, you know, and record their stories about what happened to really understand the, the whole gravity of the situation. Um, and one thing that would be discovered uh, is... A lot of people were telling stories about how men would be loaded up in trucks, dead bodies would be loaded up in trucks, and they'd see them wheel away. And they discovered, like I said, there there are three locations currently where they believe that these bodies are buried in unmarked mass graves. One, because uh, they they did radar uh, radar and um, what 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 what's it called satellite imaging to check for anomalies in the ground. And they found three locations where anomalies uh, were found and believed to be graves. One of these is called New Block Park. Another is called Oakland Cemetery. And the last is called Booker T. Washington Cemetery. Booker T. Washington Cemetery was the one that was the furthest away. Whereas New Park and Oakland Cemetery were more or less budding right up next to Tulsa, uh, to Black Wall Street. But that I just wanted to you know say before I forgot because that's the last thing I have in my notes. Like I said, there is so much more information worth you know delving into, and this is a piece of, of history, American history that we I, I've never heard about until recently, and it's a damn shame. It hurts to hear, but I think it hurts worse to not hear. You know, because it hurts worse to the families who did suffer. It hurts worse for the descendants who hear what happened to grandma. Who hurt? Who who hear what happened to their grandpa or, or their mom or whatever? I feel like it's very important that uh, these lessons get taught at schools, and I mean, especially at a young age, because it's like, look, you can't. I I I don't. Um, I do believe that there are limits, you know, to what you can tell kids about when they're young. Yeah, but. This is one of those things that I, I feel like just everybody has to know. Everybody has to know the the um, the horrors of racism, especially back in the day. Back in you know, we, this is history, but we learned so much from it. Yeah, and we and, should and, keep learning from it. Yeah, and of course, you know, we always learn about you know the civil rights movement and this that and the other very important things to to remember. They were very monumentous. They helped you know us in whole. But we can't erase our tragedy. This isn't even, by the way, this isn't even the worst American tragedy that happened on American soil. Yeah. You know, that was perpetuated by Americans. But, again, those are can of worms for another time. Yeah. Um, but this, like I said, this was just a monumentous event that I felt, like I said, does more harm by not knowing than it does by acknowledging like I said, it took Tulsa fucking how many years? Almost 70 to finally establish a commission to look into it, you know. But it, I'm glad that they did because, you know, like like I said, it hasn't happened yet. It could probably take years to be able to uncover and identify their DNA testing with all the bodies. But there's now an active effort to, you know, take care of these individuals and, and you know, talk about, you know, 
you know, digging for them and giving them proper burials. That's really good. So, you know, like, like I said, all of this, you know, it was really hard to, to research this actually. I, I, um, cause I, as you can see, I only wrote down three pages worth of notes. Um, but it could have easily been eight, nine pages. Uh, cause like I said, there was so much that was worth talking about. Um, I, it was just really hard to find out, you know, what's doing justice to the story and what's overkill. It, it was very hard to find that line. But, you know, like I said, especially with everything that's been going on in the last two decades, you know, with, you know, the, all the all the cop shootings and all the conflicting reports and, and videos that you can find online of cops blaming drugs on people, of shooting, you know, victims who obviously weren't armed or complying even. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's just a different form of hate that we see now. And it sucks that it still happens, you know? The thing is, like, in a lot of these, um, there are a lot of areas in the United States that are extremely racist. Yeah. And, you know, I we know, we know it's true. You can't just deny it. Like, it's it's absolutely you, true. You can't sweep it under the it, rug. It's, it's, um, I, I think what's happening now, it's, it's, um... It's kind of changing shape. The um, the the aggressions against um, colored people or um, a- anyone really uh, who isn't just uh, white um, or or you know straight in America. It's changing from being very vocal to being yes. a little more. It's you know it's the microaggressions or it's the laws that are being changed that like oh you know that's really odd why would you change uh, a law that allows you know medical experts to uh xyz and yeah, yeah it's just it, it it's the kind of stuff where a person can very easily make an argument about how it's not racist even though you know it is yeah and, and, well here here's the thing you know community in any sense of the word will always be complicated that much is true you know it, it's just it takes level-headed individuals who are willing to take those seconds to really contemplate things and to really take outsider opinions and views into consideration to get anything done. Most decisions, you know, in life, you know, whether it's politics, whether it's a personal decision, whether it's business, whatever, a lot of the times we're biased. Sometimes we're too biased. And it leads to shit like this. And it perpetuates, you know, throughout history – Reasons become muddied in water. It becomes, you know, overcomplicated for unnecessary reasons. It's just, it's horrible, you know. And this by no means really, you know, gets to the heart of, of the racial debates or, or conversation, I should say, not debates. Um, and it does nothing to help. You know, I know it doesn't. But like I said, it just, it was important to bring up. Because um, when I heard about the story, I had actually reached out to a very good friend of mine. His name is Darius. Um, I'm not going to say his last name, you know, for his privacy, but, uh, I asked Darius, you know, about certain things that would be worth looking up. And this was a topic he spat out and, you know, in an instance, you know, you know, true to form, he didn't tell me anything about it. He just said, look into it. It will change your views on a lot of things. And, And it didn't change my views on things because, you know, I already knew how bad things could be, but it really showed just that level of depravity that people can get to. You know, it's it's no rape of Nanking. 
It's no, you know, London bombing, but it just really goes to show you just the personal hatred that people use for no reason. And I say personal, but in, in, in reality, this was as impersonal as it can get. It was just the simple fact that somebody didn't like your skin and they'll use any reason to hate you. It's just rage. And it is. The, the, the crazy thing, though, is like you also got to keep in mind, at this point in time, this isn't too, like... Like, the world is changing really quickly. Yeah. And I feel like so many people were afraid of it. People well, were afraid of this here, here, Here's the thing. Yes, fear was a big reason, but jealousy was probably the biggest thing. Because you got to realize, a lot of these, you know, the, the Tulsa, you know, riot, as a lot of people have called it, like I said, it's really not a riot. It was a fucking bloodbath. It was a massacre. A genocide. You know, it, it, yeah, it was a genocide of an entire population. Yeah. Uh, more or less... It, well, I can't, well, we can't say genocide because there were some people who lived. Genociding. Genocide would, would, either way, either way, semantics not important right now. Uh, it, it just, it really was a matter of a lot of white people in this community were very jealous, you know, because a lot of, a lot of the black individuals around this time, like they would have, you know, pianos and ballrooms in their house. And then you'd have the white individuals on the other side of the tracks be like, how the fuck do they get that? And I don't. And it, it was in part from this mentality of entitlement that you get over this other, you know, group of individuals be purely based on you being told you're white so you're better because God made you better and this mentality or whatever. It, it makes no sense. It's completely stupid. And, and here's my biggest thing. Obviously, knowing what I know now in this hypothetical timeline, if I were thrown back, I, I would do everything I can to advocate for people not to hate them. And the argument that I came up with was, was was this, you know, take your car, for example, right? Would you get mad and angry if your car just started performing better? If your car just started, you know, exceeding your expectations? No. Yeah. So I look at, you know, this specific black community, you know, let, let's, say, let's use the analogy. Let's say they're a machine. Why would you hate the machine for being better? It's outperforming. Instead of hating it, learn how to adapt and apply it. And, you know, make everything else better, you know? I, I think, you know, if, if there were true attempts, and obviously I could spit out my, my you, know, hypoth- you know, hypothetical whatever till the ends of time, and I'll say what I want to happen. Doesn't mean it'll happen. Doesn't mean it would ever be likely or even conceivable. But, you know, I think if, if something like that were to have happened, it really could have changed how you know, course of history would have went. We probably would have had, you know, civil rights movements much earlier. We would probably be far more progressed now. You know, we wouldn't have such disproportionate, you know, economic values per individual now like we do, you know. And, you know, it just, it it sucks because it was such an anomaly. There were, like I said, there were other Black Wall Street-like events, but this was the biggest one. And I think that's, that's, Part of the reason, uh, biggest one that I know of, I should say, because there probably is something bigger and I didn't look into it, so I don't want to say that and be wrong. But from what I saw, like it, it is just monumentously destructive and, and just, I to, to this day, I still can't find any valid reason. I don't think anybody could, you yeah. know, but, you know, I, I think it's important to understand, you know, just, you know, how far we can let ourselves go when we don't pay attention, when we don't take the time to slow down and really think. You know, we don't think about our actions. We don't think about consequences. And then shit like this happens. Yeah. You know? I, I really do feel like thinking about it, 
um, right now, I'm what's coming to mind is I, I think these people just were afraid of losing any bit of power that they had. No, and, yeah, and without like, a doubt. Yeah, and I mean, like, think about it. Like seeing the seeing the people that at, not too long ago were way lower than you. They were slaves to the white man. Seeing them literally grow a believed community. to not be human, yeah, mind you, yeah, of course, and then seeing them grow a community that's just as good, if that not better. Did you, yeah, that outdid I, you. I personally can't say anything other than I'm impressed. Yeah, you know, and these people saw it as a threat. Yes, they Even, saw. Woo! Yeah, that would be interesting to hear back. For those uh, listening, I accidentally just dropped the bar stool on my freaking shin, and that hurts so bad. Ow. You okay? I'm good. I'm uh, good. All right. But, um... It just hit me, like, right here, just under the knee, but not quite, like, under the patella or whatever, so... All right, well, at least, at least you're good. Yeah, I'm good. But, uh, like I was saying, it's it's this whole idea that a person could lose power, a person could... And you know what? We're still seeing it to this day. It's, yeah. it's the whole, like, oh, I'm afraid of losing my job, you know? They're going to take my job away from me, you know? Jobs and then that- your health is failing. Yeah. You know, your rank is falling behind, you know, it's, it's stupid, you know, but uh, economics and stuff is, again, okay, stuff, it's worth its yeah. own discussion, and, you and, know, but, go on, I sorry. I was say, and I feel like this is just a problem that America has had for the longest time, is the afraid that, it oh, it, you know, is it possible that somebody could be better than me? Is it possible that somebody, something could be better than America, better than... Than my family, you know. And yeah, and there's a lot of philosophy that I've dipped my toes in that researches around that idea of, you know, men being equal or not and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I, I can see where these mentalities come from, but I still can't agree with it on Absolutely a fundamental level. I, I just, I can't. It's, it's like I said, um, I think it's something we have to get over. I Sometimes we have to get over, like... Because we all get jealous. We all absolutely get jealous. Yeah, um, But, like, it's... Yeah, you know, you can't let that jealousy get to you no. or, or guide your actions. And this, by the way, no, this is racism and jealousy. It's both things. And I'm sure, like, like if this was white people, this would never have happened because... No. It would have people, probably been some court filing documentation or whatever and then be lost to history. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, if any of these people were white, the whole thing would be different. Like, um, you know, the guy who, who, who got arrested, um, if yeah. he was white, Dick Rowland. Yeah. Yeah. If he was white, this would have never been an issue. It probably would have been a civil, civil instance that was hushed by the community and then forgotten about. Exactly. You know, and lost to time. Nobody knows, you know, I don't know a rape trial that happened in fucking 1930, whatever. I don't know of a murder trial that happened in the 1970s. I don't know. I, I don't know. But like this didn't happen that way. And, and we, as a society, became all the worse for it, not because we were just so horrible to a part of our own community, but because we forgot it. Yeah. We neglected it. That, to me, is, is the biggest tragedy, the biggest crime out of all this, is that we let ourselves forget. Even Tulsa, as a whole, more or less, let themselves forget up until 1997 when they formed that committee to, to really look into it and, and do some due justice to these individuals. Because... Like, like I was reading or, uh, or watching a report by one of these people. He says, you know, yeah, it happened almost 100 years ago. That's still someone's grandma. That's still someone's brother. That's still someone's dad. That's still someone's, you know, sister. It's still someone's family. Mm-hmm. And it's worth investigating whether it was a murder that happened two years ago or 98 years ago. You know, it's worth 
spending your time to, to do them justice, you know, and, and me personally, you know, I know we're, we're coming to the end of this. I, I hope I at least did some, you know, justice in enlightening the story to those who are listening. I just pray that I did not do more harm. I always pray that when I cover or talk about these, that I'm not doing more harm than good. Um, cause like I said, I, I really feel like these are just things that are, you know, worth knowing, even if we hate it, because it really shows you where we come from as a whole, you know, yes, my, I may or may not have had family and some blood lineage that was directly related to this. I may or may not have had some family that was directly opposed to this in a completely another state that's just appalled by the news. I don't know. I'm me. That's all I know. You know, all I know is, is as an individual, I'd rather know my history. So when history starts to repeat itself, I know how to not do that. Yeah, it's absolutely important that we still talk about this. Yes. I think history is so, so very important um, to us as a, as a culture, as a society, as individuals to know what happened before our time. And to, to be able to catch these things, to catch, like, the mistakes that we're currently making, that we're, by the way, we repeat, history repeats itself. It is, it is absolutely true. Yeah. And, um, I, I don't know, every, every single time, like, during history class, I, that phrase would repeat itself in my head. History is repeating itself. History is repeating itself. Because I would notice Yeah. That. I mean, you see stuff, you know, all the time where, you know, people scream, oh, we got to do this to avoid this because yeah. this happened because history will repeat itself. Yada, 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 yada. It's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, that's my opinion. Some things will just keep repeating itself until we fundamentally change ourselves as a species. Um, but we can only do that on a personal level. Yeah. I mean, you know, we can't force other people to change. It just doesn't happen. You know, but like I said, I, I hope you all learned something out of this. Um, I, like I said, with certain topics like this, I had a difficult time, you know, really researching it because I'm a person that feels, I, I let myself feel a lot. Yeah. You know, I try to empathize with what goes on, even if I have no direct or personal connection to these stories. You know, I try to imagine if my boots were on the ground at that time, if I was there. You know, what would it be like? And I try to visualize the environment. I try to visualize the panic, the fear. And whatever I visualize will never compare to what happened. But from what I, you know, personally allowed myself to try to experience was more than enough for me to be like, how, how could we let that happen? You I think know? I definitely learned something from this. Yeah. This, is, this was know? very good, by the way. This is a very good topic. Of course. Very eye-opening. You know. Yeah, well, hopefully next week's subject will be just as illuminating for all of us because next week we're, we're, we're covering, you know, COVID-19 and pandemics in general. And it, it's, well, it's important, it's relevant, it, it, it's necessary information because when you really look into it and really understand the, the data we're getting now, which changes every hour on the hour, you know, as we're learning new things, we're realizing just how different this virus is. And because of its novel nature, novel in terms of, you know, viral pandemics and stuff being, we've never seen this before. This has never happened before. We are not prepared. When you come across that, you have to truly understand why, you know, certain actions and precautions need to be taken. You know, a little, little quick fact, which I know off the top of my head. You know, people, I hear people all the time saying, oh, I've already had the flu. I've had this. I'll get over it. 
This ain't the flu. Mm-hmm. This has nothing to do with the flu. Absolutely. This is not even in the same family as viruses as the flu or anything like that. It is completely different on how it attacks you. Just because you've been immunized or already had the flu or whatever, that does nothing for this. That's a completely different problem. That is like trying to to, tr- uh, to treat tinnitus with fucking, you know, autism medicine. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. You know, it, there's just no correlation there. So I, that's why, you know, next week we're going to cover pandemics as a whole you know, kind of go through a brief, you know, overview of, you know, the history of how we learned to deal with illnesses, how we learned about bacteria and, and viruses and how we learned to treat them and, and stuff. And then we'll get into the nitty gritty facts of COVID-19, how it's been spreading, what we know so far and ways to protect ourselves. So that's next week, you know, and we're, you know, we're, we're constantly evolving our podcast, yeah. you know, of course, um, we're, we're, we're figuring ourselves out. So hopefully, uh, I know I didn't mention it in the start because uh, I was kind of I was kind of hesitant to to mention it. But due to a personal friend of mine, um, we now have an intro and outro that we both listen to. We both agree on. Oh, absolutely. Um, so assuming we're not idiots and it's actually played in the beginning, you just heard uh, from my friend Nathan uh, from his band Dire uh, Dire Reckoning. I almost said Dire Rising again. I don't know. I know why I say that. Because I'm a big fan of Nazi zombies, and there's a level in Black Ops 2 called Die Rise, and I say that all the time when I say his band, and I get mad at myself. Oh, it's so stupid. Uh, it's cool, it's cool. Like, but but the Dire Rising? Yes, Dire, dire Reckoning. Reckoning, not That's Rising. his band, Dire oh, gotcha, Reckoning. Gotcha. You got me saying it too. Yeah, I know, it, I mess it up with myself all the dire time. Dire Reckoning. The band is Dire Reckoning, his name is Nathan. Um, I will leave his uh, band page uh, on the description below. And yeah, by all means, uh, if he allows me to, I'll even add his little Instagram or whatever he wants to promote for social media. Follow him, it's definitely worth you know uh, a listen to. Definitely deserves the the uh, the praise that he needs to get. Uh, uh, yeah, sorry, I'm drawing a blank, but I wanted to at least acknowledge him because he he openly agreed to help, you know, with no questions or anything. He just kind of jumped on board because because music's his life, man. Yeah, it really is. And so to have someone who's so passionate about that and be so willing to help out because he knows podcasting for me, that, that's what I've always wanted to get into. And he's done such a fantastic job. Too. Yeah, I and really, he, he's yeah. also working on possible, you know, segments, you know, uh, sound cues for whenever we, like I said, whenever we get our structure really solidified, you know, in our schedules. Um, because we're still, I, like, I'm working on my own personal life. You know, you're still working, you know, and, you know, possibly moving, don't know. Don't know. That's you know, up in the air. I still got to get my van. I still got to get the website up. You know, there, there's a lot going on. Yeah, and this is a very, very busy time. But, you know, to be honest, I I don't know if, uh, like, we would have gotten this started the, the time we did. Yeah, if, I, well, I personally, you know, I couldn't take doing nothing anymore. Yeah. I've been saying, excuse me, I don't know why I keep burping, but I've been saying for over two years, I want to do a podcast, and I've never done it. And I've done nothing but kick myself in the ass over it. I couldn't let, you know, a situation like this go by and me still do nothing. Yeah. I, I would have hated myself. I would never forgive myself. And this has definitely kept me busy during the downtime. So. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, I, I feel pretty productive. You know, we have some encouraging audience members, you know, who, who have been giving us input. And to address something real quick, I know about our audio quality. I know how we can do better. 
right now that's more of a financial constraint yeah. than uh, than me just not being prepared. Our audio equipment is a Samsung phone. Yeah, it's literally just a cell phone, which I'm amazed it sounds as good as it does. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too when I yeah. heard it. I was like, oh, this is... It, it does sound good. I can, I can hear it, and it, it doesn't make me want to like pull my ears out. Yeah. Uh, well, I, t- I actually take very good uh, care of the audio side of my phone because I, I care a lot about the music I listen to and I make a lot of personal recordings as notes rather than physically writing notes because it's quicker for me. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, like I said, um, I hope this was a topic, you know, you guys learned a lot from. I hope you guys, you know, have a new appreciation for history. Yeah. Um, because when I, every time I, I research these topics, you know, subjects that you don't learn about in school or isn't discussed often or... If anything could just be internet folklore, you know, you, you still, there, there's still a spark of truth somewhere, you know, there, there's still things to learn. There, there's still, you know, lessons in, in a sense that we could learn from, you know. I agree. It, it, it's just, it really goes to show you what's out there, what we're capable of. And, and you know, if this is the worst that we can be. I want to know what's the best we can be. Absolutely. You know, which is another reason why I believe this is worth talking about. But we're rambling on. I'm rambling on mostly. No, that's cool. Uh, I, but I really, I really do, uh, before we close, uh, I really did enjoy this topic. I thought it was really, really enlightening. And um, uh, I, I actually really do like these uh, true, true, like these cases where I never heard about this. Yeah, true, yeah. true historical events. Yeah, you know. um, of course we're. Uh, this is the obscure part because you know this is somewhat obscure. I I'm yeah, surprised. Yeah, well, well, my biggest thing was, uh, and I know I'm I'm very general whenever I describe what our podcast is about. I may say you know we try to cover taboo, obscure, you know, or just you know morbid curiosities. But in general, I wanted to just talk about things that I was personally interested in but also isn't, you know, common knowledge. So to a degree, it's kind of like, I guess, a gradient scale. It's not a, it either fits here or it doesn't kind of deal. Yeah. It's just, how do I personally feel about this topic, you know, being something that most people don't know? That's usually the first question. And the second question I ask myself is how dedicated or how much information is there available for this topic to discuss? You know, because I, if I didn't ask myself that second question, I could have an entire episode of five different things and just give you this happened with this case, this happened with this case, and, and so on. Yeah. And it, it, I would not be personally happy with that. Yeah. I think the discussion alone really like made this work. Like, because if if just given the story the way it's given, just you know, if you light it later out, I'm sure it's you know. Yeah, and, and we'll definitely talk about you know other tough subjects, you know, such as you know racial inequality, uh, LGBTQ topics, uh, financial. Disproportionate. Yeah. Um, the story I'm working on is uh, very. I mean, it, it happened recently, 1996. No, that's and, not too recent. Oh, oh. I mean, for me, it's. That was a year after I was born. That's the year I was born. So is it that recent? Yeah. Okay. Maybe. You know what? I keep forgetting. That's like 20. <laughs> yeah, it's ago. 2020. It, that's What's two that? decades ago. Is, yeah. I keep. Anyways, point being, the events that happened. They feel like something that could have happened to you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get what you mean. Yeah. But, you know, we hope you all enjoyed. Please follow us on our Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we are trying to become more active. I know I personally am not very good at social media just because 
I, I don't really use technology, and, and I, I don't mean to say it like I fell out of time from like the 1800s. I get how a computer works, I get how a phone works, I just don't actively use it. Just because it's, it's never was something I personally felt like tied to, you know? I don't feel glued to my cell phone or my laptop or my tablet or anything like that. I just never have. And when I use social so. media, I just kind of look at what other people have to say. And I mean, I don't post a lot. I really don't. Uh, and I'm also used to communicate with friends. Yeah. I, that's primarily what I use my phone for is I have Messenger and that's 90% of what I use Facebook for okay. is to message people. And that's it. Um, but with all that being said... Hopefully, I was smart enough to get the outro working, uh, and we can't wait to see you guys again. Yeah. You know, listen to our stories and, and the tales we find, and, and hopefully, we all learn something and grow to be better people. Um, with that being said, this was Aaron. This is Vladimir, and we hope you have a good day. All right, adios. Bye.